Hi folks, Nat here with a quick content warning about this week's episode. As we're discussing Thelma and Louise, this episode includes a very frank conversation about sexual assault and how the film portrays it. You want to step back and get in your car again, please? Officer, I am so sorry about this. Would you let go of that? Now, I really, really apologize, but would you put your hands on the steering wheel? See, if you get on that radio, you're going to find out that we're wanted in two states and probably considered armed and dangerous. At least I am. And, and then our whole plan is just going to be all shot to hell. This is Snails and Oysters. Hello and welcome, loved ones, <laughs> to snails and oysters. We are gathered here today to mourn the bi-weekly, bi-coastal, <laughs> bisexual movie podcast. Um, yeah. So, as the episode title and description have already informed Aww. you, this is going to be the last episode of Snails and Oysters for a little while, at least. Allie and I both still love this project. We want to come back to it when we can, or at the very least, work together on something similar. But for right now, we're putting the podcast down. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're setting the, we're podcast, setting the podcast down. We're not putting oh, it down. Sorry. My, oops, oopsies. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just between uh, both of us are freelancers in the entertainment industry, which is, if you read the news, going through some pretty wild, wet and wild times, and freelancing is unpredictable at the best of times. But also, you know, we're pursuing other projects. You know, we're both writing on the side. I'm directing a short film this year. I'm looking to get uh, rejected from grad school again. (laughs) 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 That's on my end to do. Um, Yeah, it's very sad. But even in trying to schedule this episode... I feel like, I mean, I, I don't think this. We, our goal was to do this at the beginning of January. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and I first I got a migraine happens to me. Then I was in Portugal. Mm. And then I was <laughs> not just in Portugal, but also in pre-production for a video that's shooting mm. this week. I had to even push. And I felt like on the one hand, I was like. I have to annoy Nat as much as possible on our last episode by pushing this back. (laughs) (laughs) But on the other hand, I also think I genuinely was like, if I just keep pushing the last episode back, I'd never have to say goodbye. (laughs) It's like like how I won't watch the end of the Titanic. I just, uh, I won't do it. <laughs> I don't want to. I'm like, in my mind, they all make it safely to their destination. <laughs> <laughs> Man, well, that uh, I mean, I wish I could say that's what, the first time one of my creative endeavors has been compared to the Titanic. <laughs> <sighs> uh, but no, that's the thing. This is a series finale asterisk. And the asterisk is that we reserve the right to bring back the show anytime. Yeah, um, I even... I even think we reserve the right to do whatever we want. Like, I think if a popular, like if a popular movie. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you, last time I checked, you're not my dad. Yeah, you're not my dad, subscribers. You're not our dad. So I think we can, we can just kind of do whatever we want. I feel like if we come across (laughs) a movie, I feel bad because I feel like even in the time that we've decided to put the podcast down. (laughs) 
set like, the podcast set the down. Podcast. <laughs> I feel like people, I've told people about the podcast and they've been like, I feel like I have in my notes app other thing movies people want us to do, but um Yeah, oh my god, we have a whole spreadsheet of movies that we want yeah, to do. But I think that we always reserve the right to be like surprise we're like doing another it's just gonna be chaotic we're gonna be basically <laughs> very like unreliable we're gonna have it it's an insecure attachment podcast you'll never know when we're, when you get our, our companionship <laughs> when the bat signal will uh turn on uh yeah we'll see and and that's the thing and we've we've talked before about like other ideas for podcasts that we might want to bring back or potentially like try and pitch to a network or something so that we can actually like do it reliably and and make a real you know push to to get listeners and yeah. stuff. So you know we're 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 still in the neighborhood even if we're not actively updating. Oh, can we give a shout out to our patreons? Oh yeah. So the first week that we talked about potentially putting the podcast down, um, <laughs> Nat was like, "What's so sad is we just got a new Patreon subscriber and." We wanted mm-hmm. to give him in particular a special shout out. Maybe not his full name. Yeah. Thank thank you, Andrew. Not the yeah, full not the name, full name. I guess we don't want to Andrew, you know who you are. You are our fifth Patreon <laughs> patron and the first one that wasn't a personal friend of Ali or yeah, mine. That so me. I'm gonna be honest, Andrew. Like we thought about continuing this show just for you. Just for you. Just for you. <laughs> and honestly, <laughs> I still think about it every day. I'm like, what if we, <laughs> what if we just do it for old Andrew? Um, uh, but yeah. Oh, speaking of our Patreon patrons who, you know, friends or not, we love you very much. Uh, so you all know, uh, I, I've posted on the Patreon about this, but for our other listeners, there's a bunch of bonus content that used to exist behind a paywall on our Patreon. However, since we're no longer updating the show regularly, um, I, we decided to unpublish the Patreon, but rather than lose all of that bonus material, uh, I am migrating it over to a Substack where I will continue to update my film diary, which is one of the Patreon bonuses. Um, so whether or not you are a Patreon patron, you can head over to natroberts.substack.com. You can literally repatriate. <laughs> Wait, Allie, let me get the link sorry. out clean. People need to sorry, know where to sorry. go. <laughs> So it's it's <laughs> natroberts.substack.com, but it's it's G-N-A-T-R-O-B-E-R-T-S, natroberts.substack.com. It's free. There's a subscription option because I had to put one, but it's free. So enjoy. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the last thing I want to say before we start the episode is a quick thank you to Allie, because um, you were, you know, when I came to you with the idea of doing a podcast, you were the first person that I thought of, the first person I spoke to about it. And I don't know, the fact that you said yes meant a lot to me because it's been really, really it's fun been, doing this show with you. It's been really fun. And I want to thank you too because, well, one, I think I've I've heard from other people that every podcast team basically like has one dummy who just shows up to record and one person... <laughs> And like one one person who does like ninety percent of the behind the scenes work, and you are definitely the unseen force behind the show. Um, I I only object to the term dummy because you always bring an incredible analysis. You you always do. Well, I I you know what I mean, but yeah, it's been really fun, and 
it came, I know we didn't start putting out episodes till I think 2021, but we started recording in the spring of 2020 when I don't, I don't know if this that year was weird for other people. But <laughs> I don't know if anybody else noticed, but it was kind of a, a strange yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> and so I just remember it was really nice to just have a project that was like, like there was just so much free time then. Yeah. In a way that like it sounds like the term free time sounds so like luxurious, but back then it was very like scary free time and it was hard to not like pay attention yeah. to news all the time or worry. So it was just really nice to have this to look forward to and to like be able to watch so many movies. And I definitely think, uh, I don't know. I just like learned a lot and that's why it's hard to let go of the show, even though, even though it's like, it's exactly because time has gotten less and less available that we kind of, the wheels of capitalism have started have, churning they again. Surely do they churn. And <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's yeah. really been such a pleasure to see the movies that you've suggested, even if sometimes I feel like you've dragged me to a movie kicking and screaming <laughs> when I'm, I'm like, no, a black and white movie, but then I'm like, not as right. This movie is great. Uh, it's It's been super fun and it's been super interesting. And it's also been something that I've been able to share with like my friends and it's created a lot of really fun movie nights for like different people in my life. And um, <laughs> sorry, sorry that I occasionally tortured you with bad movies, especially on the, on the bonus <laughs> episode. <laughs> No, not at all. Not at all. even even the bad ones are fun. Uh, it's the company, not the the cinema. Yeah. <laughs> that that was an alliteration in my head, and then I realized out loud it wouldn't work. In some um, in some languages, but, it would. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but yeah, and I oh yeah, I guess I I realized like making the show has also made me feel really like I don't know more rooted in my queerness than I ever have oh. before, along with a lot of other things. I don't know. It's it, it, talking about queerness this regularly it, it's the first time in my life that I, I I've had the opportunity to so yeah that's a really good point I've never thought about that but I think that's been really really nice for me too um and just to like I don't know watch all these different movies and kind of see the universe of ways in which queer people especially bi people are seen portrayed sometimes to for the worse sometimes for the better it's been it's been really fun building this little like catalog in in my head yeah what do you think the worst movie we covered that's is? so funny you say that because i was gonna ask that and i was gonna ask if at the end we should do like fuck mary kill out of all the movies oh my god but if you want we could just do it up top of like what's the yeah. worst i think i know the worst and what's the best yeah what what do you think the worst is the worst should we say it on three Wait, I want to make sure I get the name right. Hold on. Hold on. I want to make sure I get the name right. Because I think we're thinking of the same movie. I think we're thinking of the same movie. <laughs> yep. Um, it stars a former Sex in the City actor, maybe? Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Deadly Illusions. I'll save yeah, you the no, Google. Yeah, I was, gonna, I was <laughs> scrolling. I was scrolling Sorry. through my catalog. Deadly Illusions. Yeah, that movie. Yeah. That was definitely the just because like even like Chasing Amy was a better structured movie than that. <laughs> and even Chasing Amy has. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Chasing Amy annoyed the shit out of me. But something about Deadly Illusions, the editing, like <laughs> I know the lighting. 
we can't get into it. Oh my god, um, go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already. It, it makes me appreciate Barbarella. Yeah, jeez, and <laughs> that's saying something. <laughs> the best movie. I'll always have such a soft spot in my heart for Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I was gonna say the same thing. Uh, yeah, that was gonna be my pick. <laughs> but also, we did Moonlight. We right? did do Moonlight and Orlando and Cabaret. Yeah, I think- I liked Orlando a lot, but I would still say Moonlight is yeah. up there for me. Oh, and we covered everything everywhere all at once. I forgot we did. Man. I know. I was just scrolling through that. Mountain. That was fun that we did that. Yeah. Man, it's way harder to choose the best Pariah. than the worst. Pariah. The Green Knight. Oh, so my good. God. Yeah. Oh, of course. Thank you to all of our wonderful guests that we've had over the years. You know, starting with Olga Lexel for uh, 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 Jennifer's Body. And then uh, Alex Mannix, of course, for Imagine Me and You. Peter Gorbachev Simp for The Green Knight. I don't know if he still uses that handle, actually, <laughs> for The Green Knight. Michelle Shu for Brokeback Mountain. and Victoria Provost for Cloud Atlas. And Annette Rainey for Children's Hour. All of you brought some really just incredible ideas, incredible movies, incredible perspectives. And thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks a lot. Um, thanks for nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. No, thank you. It was always really fun to bring in a third person, especially like, I feel like all our guests had like such a deep, deep obsession with the movie that they wanted to talk about. And that just made, it's always so fun to talk about a movie with someone who just like can answer every trivia question about it. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's get this show on the road. Shall we? Yeah, I think we're going out with a really good I think film. we're going out with the perfect movie. We're driving into the sunset. This this day. might actually be the best movie we've ever covered. Interesting. Okay, I, yeah. I'm ready to talk. We'll get into it. it. Let's get into it. It's Thelma and Louise. Um, I'll start. So Thelma and Louise is a cautionary tale about why women are not allowed out of the house. No, you start. You start the podcast. Okay, okay. It's, it's a 1991 um, <laughs> crime film directed by Ridley Scott and written by Callie Corey, who would go on to create the TV show Nashville. Uh, which I did not know until recently. Um, It, of course, stars Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis as Louise Sawyer and Thelma Dickinson, respectively. Uh, Just the the queer femme Bonnie and Clyde that we all knew we needed. (laughs) Um, So the film starts out with Thelma, who's like a kind of bored housewife at home, Uh, and Louise working in a diner and they're planning this little vacation that they're going to take to uh, like Louise's friend's cabin. Mm -hmm. All's well and good. (laughs) Until um, the pair stop for uh, for a drink at a sort of roadside diner um, and Thelma flirts with a stranger named Harlan who takes advantage of her drunkenness to try to sexually assault her in the parking lot. When Louise finds her friend in this situation, she first threatens the assailant with a gun. And then when he is unrepentant, she shoots and kills him. Yeah. And let me just say up top, it 
fucking rules. It really rules. She she like tough talks his corpse. It's awesome. (laughs) It's pretty sick. But obviously, this throws their vacation off track. It wasn't in the itinerary. Um, (laughs) So instead of going to the fishing cabin, Louise pretty quickly feels like, okay, she needs to get to Mexico. Whether or not Thelma wants to come, she's the one who pulled the trigger. Mm -hmm. Uh, They kind of just start driving. And it kind of becomes like a an American crime road trip film. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a picaresque where there are these like episodes along the road, but they do build to a coherent arc. So it's 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 interesting because each one is kind of isolated, but it all builds to this larger arc of them running from the law and the law getting every, closer every day. Yeah, they start running from the law just obviously because of this man that yeah. they killed and killed in self-defense. Mm-hmm. Um, KYLR. <laughs> and then they uh, basically Thelma, they meet like this handsome stranger played by <laughs> Brad Pitt, right? Yeah. Brad Pitt. And he, he hitches a ride with them on their way to meet Louise's ex slash on again, off again, boyfriend, Jimmy Lennox, who was played by Michael Madsen. Tarantino fans will remember. <laughs> yeah. And Louise is meeting up with him. She wasn't supposed to meet up with him. She was just supposed to get a money order from him of mm. her life savings of $6,700. <laughs> and surprise, he's there because he wants to propose. Yeah. So the same night that he proposes and Louise kind of talks out their whole relationship with him. Mm. Um, meanwhile, Thelma is having the best sex of her life with jd yes this is is the handsome stranger yes brad pitt he admits to being a bank robber and poor thelma doesn't think that maybe she should hide (laughs) the money so they end up with no money this is all like a long convoluted way to say they end up with no money and on the run from the law (laughs) and on the run from the law but thelma has recently been told exactly how to rob a place and she does She robs a little market. So now they're on the run, both for murder and for armed robbery. And throughout all of this, they're pursued by sort of the the one man in the film who isn't presented as some variety of scumbag, which is Harvey Keitel as a uh, Arkansas. I believe he's an Arkansas state police officer mm-hmm. um, who is pursuing them and sort of leads the investigation. And along the way, he realizes that they've been forced into this position and tries to help them out. But ultimately, he's a cop and police serve the bourgeois cis heteropatriarchal states. <laughs> it doesn't matter what the intentions of the individual are. The system will always pervert them to its own ends. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. And well, more literally how this plays out in the film <laughs> is that like the the feds get involved pretty early on. So his kind of like attempts to reason with them over the phone and also his attempts to reason with the feds it just comes to nothing he's not trusted by Thelma and louise and disregarded by the feds exactly all of this culminates uh in increasingly badass chase scenes as Thelma and louise arrive in their uh their vintage convertible uh at the grand canyon uh for a final showdown with the police and despite 
Kaitel's impotent attempts to save their lives, the women take matters into their own hands and agree to drive off of a cliff to avoid being captured, sharing a passionate kiss before Louise hits the gas. Yeah. Um, and also really quick, just to like recap all the crimes they've committed by the time that they drive <laughs> off the cliff, they have been pulled over for speeding and locked a cop in his own trunk. They've also basically throughout this road trip, keep running into a really, really vulgar trucker just is making like the most horrid comments at them. And they kind of lure him off near this truck stop uh, and then blow up his truck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and then they drive off oh my the God. Grand Canyon uh, and, and into cinematic history. On release, it was a, a massive box office success, uh, grossing more than three times its budget and earning six Academy Award nominations. Um, and it is, I think, the perfect choice for the temporary finale of Snails and Oysters. I agree. We too have committed many crimes. Many. This week. Many. <laughs> no, <crimes>. just kidding. <laughs> um, uh, let's get into it. The only crime I've truly committed is watching this movie for the first time. Me too. This year, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I missed it. I think it's sort of, it was one of those ones that was just in the cultural zeitgeist to such a degree that it kind of became part of the background radiation for me. Like I knew the image of the convertible, convertible going off the Grand Canyon. Same. I knew that like it was Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon, and like I, I think I even knew the general plot of the film, but I had no idea like how fantastic this movie is. <laughs> yeah, same. Um, I knew how it ended. I'd like every everyone. I think in who grew up in the U.S. has heard the phrase, like, Thelma and Louise, like, mm. oh, are you going to Thelma and Louise? Mm. Like, and I think when I was younger, I was like, that movie sounds really sad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. watch it. And then the only time I even kind of saw it, it was actually super weird. It was at, like, this documentary program of, like, experimental short films. And uh, this filmmaker had kind of taken all the footage and like recolorized it in this really, really weird, freaky way. And then like showed some of the most important scenes out of order. So it was like really trippy and strange. And oh. I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. So I, and then, but the, like, yeah. So it was really fun watching it uh, with the crush color in the right order <laughs> yeah. for the first time. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely, like, I guess I would just say right off the bat, well, let me wait for the mm. siren. Oh, no, they're coming for me. <laughs> Run! <laughs> Run. Yeah, um, I'll just say right off the bat that uh, this was not as sad of a movie as I was afraid it was going to be. Mm. I do think it's kind of a tragedy in the way that sometimes being a woman can be a tragedy <laughs> or living in America can be a tragedy or just like the way in which their uh, journey is painted as kind of like almost inevitable from the moment they step into that bar. Mm -hmm. um, and inevitable, like, because even the waitress, right, as soon as Harlan, the, mm -hmm. the, the rapist. rapist, yeah, um, 
she says to him, why don't you leave these girls alone? You yeah. Know? And then when she's questioned about his death, she says, I'm just surprised it didn't happen mm-hmm. sooner. You know, like, I don't know. I feel like there's, it's just, it, it's tragic, but not sad. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I know what you mean. I expected it to be kind of like a constant downer of just their situation yeah. deteriorating. But yes, I think that w- one of the th- elements that makes the film so memorable and so iconic is that as their situation gets worse, uh, Thelma and Louise feel better. <laughs> it's yeah. like this ironic thing of the further they get from their old lives, the better they feel, even knowing the cost that they have to pay for it. Um, and, and that's reflected in the tone of the film through humor. Like there's a lot yes, of funny there's moments. so much humor. Like, there's really so dry much. humor. Yeah. Like yeah. the, I mean, especially the scene with the trucker where they're like, te- like basically teasing him and asking him to apologize, knowing that he won't. And then they just yeah. blow up his fucking truck. <laughs> Even with the cop when they're like, yes. When they're taking his gun and putting him in the trunk, they're both saying, oh, sorry, I'm so sorry. Sorry about this. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. I know. But they're also like totally, they they like don't show any remorse either for locking yeah. him up. They're just like, oh, uh, but luck of the draw. You pulled over the wrong car. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's the thing. And, and the characters have a sort of morbid sense of humor about their own situation, like making jokes about like how's the vacation going so far and things like that. Um, or even like, uh, one of my favorite moments is after one of their like closest escapes towards the end. Um, uh, I think it's like Thelma says something like, uh, you know, I, I must've gone crazy or something. And Louise says, no, you've always been crazy. This is just the first chance you've had to express yourself. And it's ironic, but it's also true. (laughs) Like, Uh, We see, I I guess we should sort of take it chronologically and say, like, we see their lives before this trip. And like you said, Thelma is kind of a hostage in her house. Like, her husband, Daryl, is this tin pot dictator who, like, just wants his wife to stay inside all day cooking and cleaning and, like, seems actively annoyed to even hear her voice. And it's also just seems clear he might be stepping out on her oh like, absolutely yeah because he's like the whole thing is oh i have to work late friday nights and she's <laughs> like oh it's so weird that people like really want to buy carpets on friday <laughs> nights and like yeah and you find out later in the movie that she has been with him since she's 14 and they yeah. got married at 18 so yeah. yeah it's just like and i think one of the funniest jokes in the movie is when she calls him and she's trying to find out if he told the police and she yeah. can tell in the tone of his voice because he answered the phone and said hello so happily that she <laughs> just hangs up immediately and says he knows yeah yeah <laughs> and, and meanwhile louise is working you know working as a waitress sort of a you know a, a minimum wage service work job she seems to have at least more control over her life than thelma does but she doesn't exactly yeah. seem happy either yeah, she seems like we're, it's kind of like implied that she's not happy with her relationship. And then finally, like, she only seems happy with her relationship once her boyfriend, Jimmy, who's also a trucker, I think, tracks her down and like proposes to her. But it's obvious that he's only done this because she's been gone for so long. Yeah. That he's like afraid that he's going to lose her. her. Yeah, yeah. It's, 
And it's just heavily implied throughout the film that she was raped a long time ago in Texas. Mm -hmm. I don't, and it really seems like she's really traumatized. She won't drive Mm. through Texas, even though it's the fastest way to get to Mexico. And she won't talk about what happened. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I don't think she ever explicitly confirms it. It's Harvey Keitel and Gina Davis refer to it and either deduce or know about it, but it's, it's not confirmed, which is, I I mean, I think really tastefully done exposition. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Man, I don't even know where to begin. Like, I, I think this, watching this movie, I I had a kind of realization that a lot of column inches have been devoted to the idea of propaganda and the idea of the police procedural as a sort of a form of right-wing propaganda, which I think is absolutely true. Oh, yeah. Watching this film, I realized that the logical antidote or counterpoint to that, the left-wing counterpoint, would be the convict film. Mm. And actually, it's borne out that, like, often films about escaping the police, escaping authority figures carry a sort of left message. So Thelma and Louise obviously has a lot to say about gender, which we're going to get into, but there's also movies like the defiant ones, which is about race. Mm. Even something like cool hand Luke has a sort of absurdist philosophical outlook that is generally associated with uh, the left side of the political spectrum, since it's about a world in which, we have nothing to make sense. We, we There is no authority to make sense of it for us. And so we have to mm. make sense of it for ourselves. But yeah, I just find it interesting, the, the idea that the counterpoint to the conservative fantasy of absolute power is a left-wing fantasy of escape from systems of power. So mm. the idea that it's sort of fight or flight, where the idea, yeah. you know, you either want to inflict violence on others or escape the violence being inflicted upon you. Yeah. I haven't seen those other films, but I think that, like, another thing that adds to what you're talking about is just the fact that, like, in convict convict movies or, like, escape movies, on-the-run movies, Mm -hmm. I think they're really good at showing how, like, really absurd Mm. and useless, like, a lot of police or state power can be. Mm-hmm. I mean, at like at the end of this film, we have these two women mm-hmm. who we know to be like pretty much harmless. And even if you seem, assume they're like totally insane, they only have two guns, like handguns mm-hmm. on them. And they're surrounded by this absurd battalion Mm -hmm. of cops and there's helicopters it just kind of makes the state look silly Mm -hmm. in the way that like a parent looks silly when they like overly discipline a child like it's just like Mm -hmm. it it makes police look very goofy and and the way the individual cop reacts Mm -hmm. to (laughs) being locked in the trunk also oh my god yeah that's that scene is hilarious. The casting agent really deserves like some praise for that because they casted the most kind of like copy looking cop. <laughs> I think when the, <laughs> when he pulls them over, Louise says like, "Oh my god, he's a Nazi." <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, and that's the thing. And what you're saying is absolutely true. Where it's like. It, it this is a movie that ridicules authority as much as it shows the danger like that we're all in from these systems of authority, which it actually reminds me of. I saw a great um, video essay by the channel Eyebrow Cinema on 
Indiana Jones viewed through the lens of Steven Spielberg as a Jewish American filmmaker mm. and how he uh, in those films, the Nazis are treated as a serious threat but not as an intelligent one, really, or they sort of exist mm. for Indiana Jones to dunk on. The ways they die are almost slapstick in some instances. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they there is not, like, even, even the ones that seem to pose a threat to Indiana Jones ultimately are, you know, destroyed and killed in, in like, way over-the-top ways. Mm-hmm. And in a similar fashion, I think this movie views police as sort of Dangerous only through sheer force of numbers more than anything. Yeah. Whereas the individual cops that we see are generally kind of useless. Like the state, the the police officer who pulls them over and gets locked in the trunk is such a, you know, big dick swinging kind of yeah. macho man until somebody else has a gun. And then he is completely like surrenders immediately. Totally not like totally like whimpering. Exactly. Crying. Which, you know, obviously we don't want to mock a man for crying, but like the 180 is. (laughs) Yeah, it's just funny to see that like tough guy cop machismo dissolve. Exactly. Like, oh, without a weapon, without having that upper hand, you're Mm. like just as weak as the rest of us. Yeah. Guns are weaker even. That's why you pursue power because you have no internal resolve. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh my god, we also quick shout out to the 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 one scene wonder of this movie, the weed smoking biker, mountain biker who finds this cop locked in his trunk and rather than help him just fucking leaves him there. <laughs> that guy and- Doesn't he blow weed He blows smoke, smoke into the air so holes funny. in the trunk. It's amazing. It has nothing to do with the plot. It's just another little fuck you. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's I actually thought that scene was so funny because it's it's actually such such a loaded. Oh, scene, absolutely! Especially when this film came out of just literally saying "fuck the police" from Fuck like, twelve, yeah, yeah, from like people of color for who've been like pursued off of like absolutely like hunted on drug charges, yeah. you know, like it's significant. Cause that's the only person of color in the film, which is not ideal, but like, it is still like a positive portrayal. Like, I mean, he looks like a really cool guy, honestly, like he's, he's got no, the he cool mountain is, biking like, suit. Actually smoking, smoking weed is not dangerous and yeah. not a reason to be like <laughs> hunted by cops. It actually rules and helps me do my cool mountain biking. Exactly. Like he just <laughs> seems like the raddest guy ever. I want to be best friends with him. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, it's so good. And yeah. And, but, and also I think part of the critique of just, state power and authority comes really early on before we've even seen a cop like when we have harlan to mm-hmm. attempt to rape thelma there's no one you know this idea that like police are there to protect you well mm-hmm. there's no one there to protect her except for her friend mm-hmm. who immediately knows the way that the police work and the way that our culture works and when after she shoots Harlan and Thelma says we need to go to the police, she's like, they'll never believe us because yeah. you were dancing with him. Like she just yeah. understands that so deeply in her bones. Yeah. Um, and it makes you wonder if her experience with in Texas that we never find out about was one where she was blamed for her own attack and she's yeah. already gone through this exact thing. Yeah. It's it's such a powerful critique of, you know. The actual lack 
of protection that is available in the event of violence from the police. Absolutely. Not, no protection. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no protection, but the one, the, the ways in which we protect each other, you know, mm-hmm. um, like I, I kind of quipped earlier, KYLR, that, that acronym means kill your local rapist. Um, and it's, it's kind of a controversial oh, I really phrase. Didn't know what that meant. Oh, really? I mean, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. It means if that's what it means. Um, and, you know, it's it's a controversial concept on even on the left, but it's one that I think holds some water and deserves discussion. It's the idea that I, I'm, I'm, I am hardly the right person to give an introductory course to this. It's it's something I'm aware of, but not an expert on. It's happening. Um, yeah, well, <laughs> it's, it's the idea that uh, since since the prison industrial complex itself is part of the subjugation of women uh, and victims of sexual assault of all genders. Um, the, the, that the solution to sexual assault is not more cops because cops themselves are typically, I mean, 40% of cops admit to abusing their own families, physically abusing yeah. their own families. These are not people who are going to ever be part of any solution. Um, yeah. So the idea is that, you know, rather than set up this giant carceral system to deal with sexual assault, let's shoot rapists and see how many keep doing it. Um, you know, I, I like I said, I'm, I'm hardly an expert on it, but I, I, I've heard very persuasive arguments on this topic that there is violence inherent in our system and that unless you are like a, a, a pacifist, a, a, like, you know, a committed lifelong pacifist, like Quakers or anarcho-pacifists, I have nothing but respect for that. But if you're going to accept violence as part of the political struggle, here is an avenue where it should be <laughs> That's applied. That's like, here we can start. Here's <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to avoid saying, yes, we should all go out and shoot rapists. But I mean, that's, you know... But what if we did? Yeah. Well, it's so funny you bring up Quakers because I was very much raised Quaker. I was raised half Quaker. So I am very much a pacifist, but I... I have wondered if a good old punch in the face. <laughs> I would definitely say that Thelma and Louise is a pro KYLR. <laughs> yeah. That's what's kind of so funny about the movie is that like I'm not I'm not endorsing KYLR. Yeah, as, I, like, I'm, I'm not endorsing, I'm just asking questions. But, <laughs> but I do think a funny point of view that the film has is it doesn't show anyone in his community being upset that he is gone yeah to be fair we don't get like a large view of his community but like they interview the waitress of the diner as i already said and she's basically like he had it coming to him literally everyone in town wanted to shoot him (laughs) yeah and it's it's kind of interesting that it's like the only people who are interested in like avenging his death are like the agents of the state yeah. in order to like enforce the law it Who actually unif- seems like almost uniformly presented as male like at least in the speaking roles there are a few female yeah. police and detectives like, depicted in the chase but and depicted as male in such a funny way where like there's one scene where they're all hanging out in Thelma's husband's house <laughs> yeah. and and one of the guys is reading like a boudoir like magazine yeah like a but there's also a scene where they're all watching like an old movie on TV, like some old yeah. savvy romance. I forget which one it was. I recognized it. But yeah, it was just it's I don't know. It's 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 a film with a lot to say about gender. Do you want to get into to some of the 
like, I don't know, not gender politics, but gender dynamics of the film. Yeah, I think it's cynical about the options for women, mm. especially like the options for white women that are like lower class. Mm -hmm. um, I think we definitely get the sense that neither of them like had a lot growing up. Mm -hmm. Thelma says, oh, I would have loved to travel, but I never got the opportunity. And Louise says, oh, well, you know, you get what you settle for. And mm -hmm. she talks, she makes several references throughout the film to like settling. Thelma kind of settled for her high school boyfriend. Louise settled for this life working in a diner. And you kind of get the sense that in their community where they grew up, like those were your options. Mm -hmm. Like, do you want to get married? Do you want to work? And then... What's so tragic about the film is that it's literally within the first 20 minutes of them leaving to have fun on their own mm -hmm. that they're not even able to have fun because yeah. the second that they let loose, get a little drunk, they're preyed on. And it's just like such a tragic and cynical, but I don't say cynical. I feel like sometimes people use cynical in a way to be like, oh, don't be cynical, You're, mm -hmm. you know, but I'm saying it's like, it's cynical in, in, in a very in a necessary way. way. In a necessary way. And it kind of like, and I joked earlier that it's a cautionary tale, but like, it's not that it's a cautionary tale, but it is trying to be very honest about the ways in which women can get like trapped mm -hmm. in life and also hurt if they try to like get out of that trap. Yeah. That's why it makes so much sense that this is a, uh, a crime film because there's there's actually a tradition in anarchism known as illegalism where anarchists would mm. try to adopt the style of criminals. It's not a school of thought that I find particularly compelling, but it does speak to a certain desire for that forbidden lifestyle, so to speak. Like yeah, yeah, really yeah. a criminal by definition is just somebody that the powers that be have deemed undesirable. Yeah. And so through criminality uh, Thelma and Louise are able to feel a sense of power and liberation that they've never felt before. And notably one that doesn't victimize anyone again, other than a few cops. <laughs> and and they're rapists. And uh, they're rapists. And the rapists, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they victimize the shit out of him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's kind of a, in some ways it's a wish fulfillment fantasy tempered by it is, a yeah. brutal dose of reality. Which leads it to be sort of um, what I think of as really good escapist entertainment, which which gets into it. It touches upon something that our favorite Ursula K. Le Guin once said, which is mm. that, um, you know, she to paraphrase, she said something like science fiction and fantasy, which I write, are often referred to as escapist. But since escape is in the direction of freedom, what exactly? Why is that a problem? <laughs> which I think I've, I've paraphrased that I've butchered that quote on the air before. Um, but it's, it's especially applicable here because, you know, that, that really is sort of the, the theme of this film. Yeah. I, I think another theme of the film that's related is just like a sense, like it might sound silly, but I do think it's kind of a coming of age film, even <laughs> yeah. though they're both like, I think, in you know full-grown adults at the time of like the film it's very much they're learning how to be independent mm -hmm. you know there's a way in which it's so liberating and for them to be on this journey because it's kind of like wow like 
we don't need our husbands and we don't have any money, but we robbed a bank. And actually (laughs) that guy, that guy who like keeps hot, like harassing us on the road, we're going to scare the shit out of him. And like, we're not going to let anyone, it's kind of this twisted way of becoming (laughs) self-reliant, but it, but that can't last because like every time they do something that like gives them more self-reliance, they have another like cop on their tail. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's the thing because like this idea of liberation, just the, 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 that that's, I think partly why like this huge state apparatus is mobilized to attack this, these two women is because the very idea of escape is a threat to the order. Um, Mm -hmm. because like, you know, it's, it's a tale as old as time. And like, you know, whether it's prisons or slavery or any place where people are being kept someplace that they don't want to be, if everybody tries to escape at once, there are more of them than there are people chasing them. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. that, that is why the ruling classes are so well armed because there are fewer of them than there are of the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say on the, on the subject of this as a coming of age film, I think it's also, I, I, so, so obviously we are, obviously this is the gayest movie imaginable. Um, and we're going to get into that, uh, right after this, I will say I watching it, I had the feeling almost that this was two characters having the same arc, um, or, or almost like two versions of the same character having a complete arc together where, you know, as Thelma processes Harlan's assault on her in the parking lot, she becomes more like Louise was at the beginning of the movie, i.e. very capable. She sort of mm-hmm. takes charge of the situation. Meanwhile, Louise is losing this sense of control that she's exerted over her life ever since her own trauma back in Texas. Um, but then by the end of the film, the two of them have sort of both come out on the other side with this sense of like, you know what, no matter what, I don't regret a single thing we've done. Yeah. Um, so they, they kind of arrive at the same place of ideological liberation where they let go of the idea that they have anything to be sorry for. Yeah. Which, you know, speaking as somebody working through some childhood trauma shit of my own, like the idea that you're not to blame for it is huge. Mm-hmm. It's it's even though it's the you know it's goodwill hunting it's the same thing anybody ever tells you it's it's the same thing everyone tells you about it to actually believe it is incredibly mm-hmm. difficult. Yeah, it's it's funny what you say about the two of them kind of being two sides of the same coin because I saw that as well. I even like early on throughout the film, I almost felt like Thelma was. Uh, this younger version of exactly yeah who's very open very trusting wants to have fun and louise is kind of the jaded you know she knows the danger that can lie in those Mm -hmm. circumstances which i also think is like a really sad representation of i i think what a lot of women go through yeah too of like thinking that life can be this really fun exciting place and men can be really like flirty and fun and, mm-hmm. and, and it's so easy to have an experience that just completely throws your world upside down. Yeah. And populates it with threats, you know, suddenly yeah. you, you start to identify. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I thought it was really cool that they kind of like twisted around each other as yeah. the film went of like, 
uh, yeah, Thelma becoming more capable, more the caretaker mm-hmm. and letting Louise take a backseat and yeah. feel more vulnerable and out of control. But then it really is beautiful by the end that their decision to drive off the cliff is really, it's just about, I don't know. It's just about like what you said, like not having any regrets yeah, and also recognizing that like the life they had wasn't one they wanted to even attempt to return to in any way. Like Thelma's thinking about her husband who like was only ever mean to her. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I I had a thought off of what you were saying about they, they twist around each other. I I think like the idea, I, I had that same thought of like, Louis or Thelma is Louise's past self. And I think some of their early conversations immediately after the assault reflect that where, you know, they're like, it's almost like Louise is talking to her past self as she's talking Thelma through this experience. Mm -hmm. But also in, in that she's like questioning her, like, why did you do this? Why did you do this? And then ultimately realizing that she's not to blame, which means she's not to blame. Yeah. Um, so really that, that twisting around is almost like a reintegration, you know, it's the reintegration yeah. of the self before trauma and the self after trauma. Sorry, I wanted to well, finish that thought <laughs> before no, I lost I, it. <laughs> I love that. And also I think I definitely got the sense that she's not really shooting Thelma's rapist. Exactly. I mean, she is, but she's shooting her rapist. She's shooting every um, rapist. Yeah. Well, she's and shooting- her rapist in particular. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. God, I love yeah. that line after she shoots him and she just leans in and says, you watch your mouth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> From that so moment, sick. you know that this movie is not going to pull punches. It's like, no, no, she feels great and she should. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny because my like the way that I thought via the culture that this movie went down, I thought mm-hmm. it was like I, and I feel like this is a different kind of story and trope. I thought it was. They slowly they commit crimes that escalate. In yes, nature. but that's really not the film. I mean, they commit more and more crimes as the film goes on, but it actually leads with the murder. Yeah, and, and then in fact, there's they kind become, of petty theft. Yeah, exactly. It goes from murder to theft to vandalism. Yeah, yeah, and then like a light kidnapping. But is it really kidnapping if you put someone in the trunk of their own car? Not if they're a cop. <laughs> <laughs> um. um so let's, um, you know, let's. Well, let me. I have a good transition oh, yeah. for this. Oh, One perfect. thing that's also true about their arc, they both become more like each other as the film goes on, and they both dress a lot fucking queerer. Yes. As the film goes on and just get hotter and hotter and oh, hotter. Oh my God. Like, yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. That's it. And there's even the scene, there's a great uh, silent moment when uh, I think it's when Thelma goes in to rob the store. Louise is in the car and notices some old women watching her from a restaurant window sort of disapprovingly. And she like takes out her makeup and is about to put on like, like put on her face, so to speak. And then she just chucks it out the window. She's like, fuck this. Uh, mm-hmm. And from kind of that scene on the, they, they're very, there's, there's very much a lack of artifice. Like they're just sort of wearing what they find, you know, picking stuff up, yeah. not worrying about how they look. Which you know we we can get into the the politics of of makeup specifically and how you know it's it's not as simple as makeup bad makeup good yeah 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 you know thing bad thing good but it is like like you were saying it definitely they take on like a more like butch appearance or like a more queer gender bending appearance as the film progresses. I just think all I'm saying is they be at home 
at Moodring and Bushwick. Absolutely. Maybe, maybe without the like Confederate flag shirt that uh, Louise wears, the tank top. Oh my God, I missed that. It, there's like, yeah, a, it's tiny. It's not a huge part of it. And it's like, okay, they needed to change clothes, whatever. It's, it's, yeah. Um, um, yeah, it's just, it's really cool. And it, it all culminates in this beautiful kiss before oh my God, yeah. they drive off the cliff. That's it. It's sort of like the ultimate boundary to cross in this society mm-hmm. is to uh to just sort of imagine a world without men basically like yeah. <laughs> like to to have a relationship that is not about men yeah and to like choose each other mm. in this moment instead of choosing their own lives yeah and to basically say like another reason that that's so important i think is that like Yes, they've both been involved in these escapades the whole time, but, like, Louise was the one who pulled the trigger. You know, you mm-hmm. can make an argument for, like, Thelma – I think it's Thelma's idea to drive yeah, off the cliff. it is. She's she like, says, let's not going. get caught. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's so – it's so cool, but it's also – it's, like, it's so meaningful that she's the one – because yeah. she's the one who might have, a, like, a glimmer of hope. Exactly. She could at least argue that she was along for the ride. Yeah, although tough because she robbed that store. Yeah, true. <laughs> and she was damn good at it. <laughs> she was so good at it. Yeah, it's um, it's really beautiful and cool and just badass to yeah. kiss your hot best friend before you drive off a cliff. Although, That's, don't yeah. do it. Don't don't do don't, it, don't drive off a cliff, kids. Don't um, drive off a cliff. Though I will I, say, I, my partner texted me while they were watching the movie and said, "Suicide packs, very gay." <laughs> <laughs> so true. The Last of Us episode three agrees. <laughs> I haven't started watching it yet. Actually, I'm sure it's great. <laughs> it's fine. Um. Yeah. <laughs> now, I I do want to uh, spend a moment on sex. Actually, like um because this film has like an incredible sex scene in it between Gina Davis and Brad Pitt. Yeah. Um, And I actually think that that's incredibly crucial to portray given that the film also deals with sexual assault in in our conversations around consent. Something that gets lost is how much pleasure can be derived from respectful consensual sex. Um, Like, even though Brad Pitt's character is a thief and a scoundrel, he he's just a, he's just a very expensive, uh, you know, prostitute. man of the night. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who didn't yeah. discuss his rate. Who did not quote performing. the rate? Yeah, um, but it it is interesting that he's still he at any time Louise or Thelma sets a boundary, he doesn't test it. You know, he backs off. You know, when Thelma says when Louise says they can't give him a ride, he's like, well, thank you for your time. And then when they then they make the choice to pick him up later, when he knocks on yeah. Thelma's door, he he's like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have come. I'll go. And she's mm. like, no, actually, I do want you to come in. And then even when they're like, you know, getting it on, she stops him for a second and he just yeah. waits until she's ready. And it's 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 great that. To, to portray consensual sex so that it can be contrasted against rape because rape isn't sex. Um, and it's show, it's reflected in the filmmaking too. Like they're shot completely differently. I think that's a really good point. I think it's a really important moment for Thelma, even though, it, boy, what a cost. What a, yeah. what a financial hit. But, um, <laughs> but I think it's really important for her, not just because it kind of means that 
her last experience was not one of assault, Mm -hmm. but also because it's made very clear through her conversation with Louise that like her sex with her husband hasn't been good. She's been married to him for, we don't know how old she is, but she, but we know that, that he's the only man she's ever been with. And just, she says like, she says like, um, Oh, now I know what all the fuss is about. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I also have to say, I love that Brad Pitt is just like a sex object in this film. (laughs) Like, like he is very much viewed through like a sexualizing lens, which is a nice counterpoint to like the typical male gaze. Cause like, I don't have a problem when a film sexualizes everybody. I just have a problem when it only sexualizes women. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's the double standard. It's like, give everybody a chance. Exactly. Brad Pitt um, may be an asshole, but he's very pretty. He's pretty, yeah. Yeah, and he plays his character really good. It's just kind of like yeah. this scummy. But, like, I don't know. It's funny. He's not. He's like a rogue, a, he's, you know? He's, he's a rogue, and he's just kind of um, opportunistic. Exactly. He's not spiteful. Yeah, like, I definitely don't get the sense that he only slept with her because of no. that money. For one it, thing, it's Gina fucking Davis. She has a jawline that could crack a walnut. Oh my god, her jawline is crazy. It oh was my such god. a blaze. <laughs> How'd she do it? With gua sha? Tell us. <laughs> yeah, great scene. Also, I love how like <laughs> like Thelma and Louise even talk about him as like this sort of like sexual play thing for Thelma, where it's like when they see him the second time on the road, Thelma literally like whimpers and pants like a dog to convince Louise to let let her pick that him was up. So funny. That was so, <laughs> it's so, so funny. Great. Yeah. Oh my God. And and again, it's an assertion of sexual agency where it's like this is the first time she's picked a partner. Since she was 14. Yeah, geez. Man, what a fucking flick. I mean, if nothing else, this is why we need to get back to making mid-budget movies. Because this movie costs $16 million. And it's that you see every dollar on screen, you know? It's mm-hmm. not bloated and overdone. But you can afford to do shots like the Grand Canyon chase where, like, you see, like, this the helicopter, helicopter rises shot. up. Yes. Yeah, so good. But also, like, um, when they're when they're being chased by this like army of cops and there's this great ultra wide shot of mm-hmm. like first their car and then like a line of cop cars pursuing oh. them. And it's like you, you even with today's CGI, it is more impressive knowing that they did it for real. And you can tell it's real because it's imperfect because things aren't timed out exactly the way the the director wanted. You get that, organic human feel that I don't know just makes it come alive yeah yeah I was really excited about a lot of the cinematography and just all of those exciting huge shots at the end Mm -hmm. contrasted with like there's so many nice shots throughout that are just like really close-ups on their faces that feel really vibrant and alive and also the, the sexual assault scene is filmed in a way that I found just like so truly horrific but yeah. not graphic it was yeah. really like it's it's a weird thing to say that like that assault scene was well done but i think it really like it, it really it, yeah. portrayed the absolute like violation of it and 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 the sudden, horror and the horror without being like overly graphic or yeah. overly like disturbing it, it was restrained i think that's really the key 
Like it, it, it knew how much to show and how much to hold back. Well, and even the fact like that we don't see them crash and burn in a fiery death in the end feels like the perfect amount of restraint. Like, you know, they're going over the Grand Canyon. You don't have to suffer watching them. Exactly. Because um, why would you want to? No, no. I saw it. It's so funny. So uh, when I was done watching the movie, I was like such a little consumer bitch. And I was like <laughs> immediately on Etsy trying to find a cute Thelma and Louise shirt. Aww. But, um, but yeah, instead I found this pin that I didn't buy, but it was like a magnet that says, I believe Thelma and Louise survived and they lived at the bottom of a canyon and made a living castrating pigs. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. I love that. Yeah, pretty great. (laughs) Oh, man. And I love this movie. I'm so glad that we watched it. It's, oh, my God. What a just a delight, you know, like not not obviously like a tough watch, but like a very worthwhile one. Yeah. Susan Sarandon Susan is so good. Yes. Gina Davis. Gina, Gina Davis. Davis. Yeah. So good. Also, and- Susan Sarandon by Icon. She's one of us. A bicon. A bicon. Um, and yeah, it's a good movie to take a pause on. Don't worry about us. We're at the bottom of the canyon. Yeah. Castrating pigs. <laughs> uh, on that note, would you like to have our final for now round of Fuck Mary Kill? Who are we doing? Uh, well, obviously. Because I want to be in a thruple with Elma and Louise and obviously. I refuse to pick. I want to be throupled. Yes, okay. they're the best. They they belong together. I was going to suggest that we could do uh, Harvey Harvey Keitel. Who's that? Uh, the cop. The good cop. The good cop. Quote, Sorry, unquote. good cop in parentheses. Yeah. <laughs> in parentheses. Um, well, I I was thinking, or actually, I don't know. I I was thinking uh, Harvey Keitel's quote unquote good cop, Jimmy Louise's boyfriend, and then JD uh, Thelma's boy toy. What do you think? Um, okay, no problem. Yeah. I would definitely kill Thelma's. Wait, not Thelma's. Oh, Louise's sorry, sorry. boyfriend? Louise's boyfriend. No, I wouldn't kill him. Hold on. Yeah. Fuck, this is actually hard. Yeah. Because I definitely want to kill Harvey Keitel because he gets them caught. And he knew he would get them caught. I don't know who he was kidding that he could bring them in alive. I know. Just himself to justify being a tool of the bourgeois state. <laughs> Wait, we have to choose another three. Yeah, this will yeah. never work. But there's so many, like, there's not that many good characters in this film. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's a, like, yeah. besides the two main, besides Thelma and Louise, okay. there's not really, like, anyone good. Well, I, here, here, this will be one where, uh, how about Jimmy? Um, <laughs> so we'll do Harvey Keitel, Jimmy, and then Daryl. And then it's a fight to see, because... Oh I want to kill, kill Daryl. I'm going to kill Daryl. <laughs> but oh, then who do you no, fucking who do you marry? This. I can't marry. <laughs> what if we just say we're throupled with Elman? Yeah, I think that that's a, yeah. Everyone you're not our can, dad. We don't have to play fuck, marry, kill. Every, everyone else in the movie can go over the Grand Canyon as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, we're, we're finally breaking free of this. This, the constraints, of the constraints the show of the game that I chose it. for the end of this epi- of this show. <laughs> Fuck it, series finale. We're doing as we please. Yeah, we have rights. Amen. Podcast hosts have rights. <laughs> well, 
Uh, man. <sighs> Sad. Yeah. Time for time for the two of us to ride off over the edge of the Grand Canyon. Aww. Thank you for listening to Snails and Oysters, your bi-weekly, bi-coastal, bisexual movie podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, it, that really means the world to us. Yeah. Um, if you want to see the archive of bonus material, you can head over to natroberts.substack.com. Again, that's uh, G as in golf, N-A-T-R-O-B-E-R-T-S dot substack.com it's free you don't have to subscribe there's an option to subscribe because i couldn't remove it if you want to subscribe hey i'll take the money but but don't feel obligated um uh but yeah so a final thank you to all our patreon subscribers your support really has meant the world to us yeah it's it's really it's been so great and i thank you all especially andrew and especially alex yeah Yeah, thanks to Milos, Tiana, and my mom as well. <laughs> Thank you, Nat's mom. Um, and Milos and Tiana. Um, <laughs> and Alex. And, and Alex. And thank everybody all over again. We all, we love you so much. Yeah, and who knows? Maybe, maybe we'll come out of hibernation sometime. Yeah. But a little bit of hibernation never hurt anybody. Exactly. Thank you, um, Billy, for Billy Libby for our amazing theme music and Abby Austin for our really beautiful cover art. You can find both their social media handles in the episode description. Um, and, and our social media handles used to be there, but yeah. um, we, I, I deleted Twitter. Yeah. So. Oh, I'll post the Substack link down there so you can find that Perfect. at least. Okay. <laughs> um, and, but yeah, uh, for the final time, we want to thank you. For being, being a, a bye, bye ally. ally.